Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dope Shit My Therapist Says, a therapeutic wellness podcast hosted by Ryan Gaddy and Lauren Fractor. We are two millennial therapists who enjoy having authentic conversations with real people who share their experiences and passions with a mental health twist. Conversations that inspire discovery of self, insight into deeper spirituality, and alternative ways to support mental health and wellness. As a reminder, this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only. All topics discussed on the podcast are from the viewpoint of our guests and their personal experiences. Information shared on the podcast is not a replacement for therapy, therapeutic advice, or medical treatment. At her core, Taylor Danielle likes to think of herself as a creative force trying to make her own space to exist. She has an extensive background in training and customer service from her Clark Kent days. Nowadays, she hosts and facilitates conversations that ask us to dig inward to understand our why. From diabetes, health, and awareness with her podcast, Healing in Hindsight, to being your unapologetic self with her live stream show, Is There Room for Me? She's your tough love soundboard and motivation bestie. Enjoy the show with Taylor Danielle. Hi, Taylor. We're so happy to have you on Dope Shit My Therapist Says today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, And I feel like it's been weird lately so it feels good to say like I actually feel really great right now so I'm doing awesome that's so refreshing to hear I feel like so much has been going on that the fact that you're doing so well is awesome um so Taylor tell our listeners a little bit about yourself where you're from what you do and yeah yeah so my name is Taylor Danielle um I am a born and raised Texan um, here in the Central Texas area currently, so in Austin, uh, but grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, I'm 31 years old. I almost feel like I'm like doing a dating profile, <laughs> um, but I am a fellow podcaster uh, and I recently just started live streaming. That's been a, a fun experience. Um, and I do uh, a show for you know diabetic health and awareness. And then my live stream show is more for uh, self-acceptance um, and, you know, full expression of, of self, if you will. So uh, I'm a creative through and through, um, which sounds weird considering I'm a Capricorn. Uh, so most people expect me to, you know, be running a boardroom of some sort, which I, I did the corporate manager thing for a second, but I just decided I'll create my own board. So here I am. I feel like it depends on the rest of your chart for Capricorn because I'm a Capricorn moon and I'm kind of the same, like this, like creative, but also like I get really intense about my work and what I'm doing and sometimes get a little overboard. So <laughs> I don't know if you can relate to that at all. Oh yeah. So I'm, I'm a, uh, cancer rising in Virgo moon. So mm. definitely a lot of interesting mixtures there. And then I have Capricorn in like five of my houses. Like I just decided that I just need to be a Capricorn in so many different <laughs> ways. I know my, my Venus is in Aquarius, which is interesting because I'm dating an Aquarius um and so I found that funny like oh I was really intended to like date you because I, I don't think I would understand otherwise if I didn't have that in my chart but we uh, we joke about that all the time that's so funny that like you're like attracting that 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 love energy his son's in that that position <laughs> well we went way off topic it's obviously not an astrology episode today but as you guys know Lauren and I love astrology so we will always try to fit it in any yes. way we can <laughs> well I was gonna say Taylor being a fellow Capricorn son myself we um 
definitely have that in common. Uh, but I was going to make a joke and say that you're the CEO of Healing in Hindsight. So very true. Very you true. are you are <laughs> master of the boardroom of your podcast. So <laughs> um, okay. So we know what Healing in Hindsight is. Uh, what inspired you to create your podcast called Healing in Hindsight? Yeah. So I am a type two diabetic. Um, I actually saw my endocrinologist today. Oh, interesting. Um, but, uh, I have been, it'll be six years in November. Um, I was diagnosed at 25 and I've been aware of diabetes because both of my parents are also type two, but I didn't pay close attention to it in regards to me until the year before when I was trying to actually prevent my diagnosis, but like in the like absolute wrong way, fad diets, you know, all, all the, all the crazy things that <laughs> definitely did not help at all. Um, and so when I, I got the final, you know, diagnosis, I only had my parents to kind of give me a taste of what it's like, but at the end of the day, you know, they're older and they weren't living the same kind of lifestyle that I was. So you know, it's, it's 2015. It's the internet blogs are the new thing. Instagram is just really, you know, kicking up. And so I'm like, all right, I should be able to find some people online to kind of get their experience and uh, figure out how to manage this, but still be a young adult, still want to go out, still want to, you know, do my, my professional career, things like that. And so I hop online and I'm looking up, I think blogger was, was still like the bigger thing back then. Uh, it was kind of the, the, competitive uh, version of WordPress. Um, but I couldn't find anybody. I found a lot of type one folks. Um, and usually they were either parents of somebody with type one, um, or they were type one themselves. And a lot of them, you know, with the exception of like recently, a lot of people have been diagnosed with type one, um, you know, at, at later stages uh, in their adulthood. Uh, most of them were diagnosed when they were kids. So they've, they've figured out the groove, you know, they went into their teens and their, you know, uh, young adult years um, already having to manage, but me having spent most of my life having, you know, not having to think about that, um, it was, it was very new for me. And so I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm like, there's nobody around. Okay, well, then what do I do? Like, how do I figure this out? And I've never been one to be shy, to step up. I used to purposely hold myself back because I'm like, you know, I don't want to overstep. I don't want to seem like I'm doing too much or being extra, but I just couldn't help it. And I was like, okay, this isn't here. This I'm seeing a need. I don't see anybody that looks like me. I don't see anybody my age. I don't see anything in relation to type two that could really help me work this into my day-to-day well, should, I guess I'll do myself, you know? And so I'd been wanting to start a blog. I didn't know what for, um, I do love writing. And so I thought at the time, okay, yeah, I'll I'll write about it and it'll be cool. And, you know, nutrition and fitness were really picking up at the time online. So I'm like, yeah, this will be great. And maybe I can turn it into something I can get paid, whatever. Um, but it flopped like four years flopped. (laughs) I actually started this back in 2015, but just struggled with it because, when you're writing something, it sticks so much harder. And so I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm doing a research paper every time I want to write a post, even though it's from my perspective, I still want to make sure I'm pointing people in the right direction in terms of medical resources. Cause I'm no doctor, no dietitian, no nutritionist, none of that. I went the complete opposite direction of any <laughs> medical profession. So 
I struggled. And then my professional career started to pick up. I was a manager and trainer um, in my Clark Kent days, if you will. And, you know, it was really exciting for me because I was experiencing promotions for the first time. And I know it was like millennials, we are, you know, kind of taking over the corporate space. So it was nice to feel validated and to move up in positions and not be entry level anymore. So I let that take over. You know, I made that my excuse for why I couldn't really pay attention to, to my, my side of my blog. And so pandemic hits, you know, if we fast forward and, you know, like so many other people, I was laid off and in the midst of me, you know, job hunting, I was like, well, maybe this is the opportunity that I need to finally do something with this. Cause I kept revisiting my blog. I, I've re, I redid my website like three times and I'm like, why do you keep redesigning your website? And you got like four posts up there. Like, can you not like waste resources trying to do that? Um, but you know, my, my best friend did my logo and everything. And I'm like, I don't, you know, she gifted it to me for my birthday one year. And I'm like, I don't want to waste this. Like there's, you know, she and I had to have conversations all the time about like, you can really do something with this. And I just kept thinking back at how surprised people were when they found out that I was a diabetic and just the passion, the conversations we would have, because then I would get on my soapbox about the food industry and the, you know, pharmaceutical industry and you know, the stigma around diabetes, because again, people were like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, do you need a big ass neon sign to say I'm a diabetic? Like, feel sorry for me. I don't want that, you know? And so I don't know what it was. I was, I just moved into the space that I'm in and I'm like, oh, duh, Taylor, just do a podcast. I've been listening to them, you know, for like three years now. And my dad, you know, is a musician. So I grew up in studios and I'm like, how did I, why did I not think of this sooner? Like, what, what was it? But I, I just finally had this space to actually think through it. And so I took the four or five little blog posts that I had. And I, you know, I actually used my phone for the first time um, as, as uh, my way to record. And then eventually, you know, bought myself a, a cheap microphone. And yeah, I just took off from there. It'll be a year this upcoming August that I started the pod. So it's a very long, you know, I feel like, um, what's going about in the Bible where they wander for 40 days and 40 nights just in circles. Like that's how it felt getting to this point where like, I finally figured out, um, the way that I need to, to operate with this. So. That's funny. I feel like, so I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the podcast, but I used to have a travel blog. Um, and I started it about the same time you started your blog and experienced kind of the same thing. Like there really wasn't growth. I, feel like I didn't know what I was doing, but I was trying really hard and, um, eventually actually shut it down. I think 2019, I was just like, I'm spending money on, you know, my platform and all that, blah, blah, blah. Um, but had been wanting to start a podcast for the last couple of years. And so, you know, we kind of started a podcast at the same time as well. Um, and it definitely feels like a better fit, but can you give some of our listeners who are not super familiar with um, the diagnosis of diabetes, what's the difference between type one and type two? Yeah, so the, the easiest way that I could uh, help you differentiate between the two, and, and I'm, I'm gonna use this loosely a little bit because now there are more types that are coming about that can also fit one of these categories, but for the most part, type one is insulin dependent meaning their body does not make it at all. So they have to manually 
uh, administer it to themselves in order for them to use the hormone to do what it needs to do, which is feed your body energy, right? Um, for you know type two, uh, we're insulin resistant. So I'm making insulin, but my body is rejecting it. It doesn't seem to recognize that it needs to, I like to think of insulin like uh, the person who gets you on the VIP list, you know, like you meet somebody and you're wanting to go to this like hot party or whatever. And they're like, oh, I can get you in. Don't worry. And then you show up and they, you know, wave at the bouncer and they're like, oh, yep, go right on in. That's what insulin does for energy. But when you become resistant, you show up to the bouncer and the bouncer is giving you the steel face of like, uh-uh, you're not getting in. Sorry, you got to wait in the back of the line. And so what happens is with either one, the sugar, which is the most common energy in your bloodstream, builds up. It, it, it's not meant to stay there. It's meant to get dispersed to all parts of your body and your body utilizes that to sleep, you know, run around, whatever you do. It's, it's how, it's your gas, just like a car. Um, and so when someone is insulin dependent, they need to manually inject it so that way they can use it. Otherwise it can cause damage for someone who is insulin resistant. Um, we have to use either like oral medication. Some may have to end up on insulin. It just depends. Um, but we need some form of, you know, outside help to get our body to remember what is in our system and to use it. Otherwise it can still cause damage. So. Thank you for clarifying. Um, my grandma had type two diabetes and all I remember was her um, and injecting needles and sugar-free candy. And I feel like how has the conversation changed nowadays, especially someone like you, like you having this platform to educate, but also to share your own experience about being diagnosed with diabetes. It's just not something that people who aren't in that realm are really going to, you know, do their research. So it's nice to have someone who's talking about their own experience, but how has the conversation changed at all, even since your diagnosis a few years ago? I think the biggest change is the community has grown so much. Um, when I decided to start the podcast, you know, I, I hopped back on Instagram because I'd started the account, but I didn't do much with it, right? And I'm looking and I'm searching hashtags and I'm like, oh, we're here, like we're everywhere, like what, you know? And, and it was freaking me out a little bit because then I started to feel a bit of imposter syndrome. I was like, well, do I need to say anything? Y'all seem to get it. Like y'all are out there doing the work. Let me calm down. Um, but seeing more people actually started to motivate me and I saw it more as collaboration and competition. And so to start to see not only the conversation happening more and there it's more, you know, folks around our age, you know, a lot more people are being diagnosed with type one, or they call it 1.5, because normally it's when you're a lot younger, the genetic mutation happens so much, you know, um, earlier in life. Um, and so it's caught sooner or later. But now with, uh, you know, the late onset version, um, something within your system is starting to, you know, kind of what diabetes, especially in type one can do is it's attacking the beta cells that helps to create the insulin. And so something's going on as you're going through life to where those beta cells are, you know, being attacked or they're not, you know, recreating themselves or whatever. And that's how you end up in type one, because you have to manually inject the insulin. Um, so you're seeing all of these people, you know, all of these organizations that are suddenly here. And part of it is because diabetes is one of the top 10 deadliest diseases in the world. And especially with the U.S., like, we're getting hit pretty hard. You know, there are some other countries, India is the first one that comes to mind that are also having like a huge surge 
in diabetes cases, but you know the community springing up so so much and so vast uh, is like the biggest change that I've seen. I would think that the other part is, you know, our generation we're a lot we're pretty vocal. Um, I feel like Gen Z owes us a thank you, no shade, but I do like you know because we have come into our own. We're starting to you know take the stuff that mattered from uh, the generation before us, but also say, okay, we need to make a few changes, you know, um, and not stick to our old ways. And so we're speaking up more and we're sharing more and we're um, deciding not to take things laying down. You know, I grew up with a grandmother who was on dialysis and she was also diabetic. And I didn't know until after, you know, she had passed and asked my mom, I was like, wait, was you diabetic? Oh, another myth, because she had a pharmacy literally in her house. And so when you don't have those conversations, it's hard. And then watching my parents go through it, I got a little nervous. And so as you're seeing your parents go through something that could potentially affect you, and at least for my case, it did, I think we are just wanting to get ahead of that curve a little bit faster. And diabetes is just creeping up way more because you know you have the whole movement about trying not to have obese kids and, and all these other things. So you're seeing all these different health, um, I don't want to say fads. I feel like that's that makes it a little too gimmicky, but people are just becoming aware of their health a lot sooner. Um, and I think it's just causing this shift with us to, to check in and see what the heck is going on. But I think just the broadness of the community and the, you know, how loud the community is being now um, is what created such, such a big change and a big wave to where it's kind of at the forefront now of most conversations. After you got diagnosed, can you kind of walk us through, you know, how you felt about that? Did that impact your mental health at all? And, and kind of where did that journey take you? Yeah, it definitely did. Um, you know, like I said earlier, I tried to prevent my diagnosis. The year before I was concerned, I was at my heaviest in weight. Um, I went to a doctor who was an ass. He was an ass, you know, you know like, and I'm telling him like, hey, you know, my, both of my parents are diabetic. I remember having a conversation with my dad about, you know, what symptoms did you experience? Because I didn't know that my dad was until I just noticed he was taking more, you know, I thought maybe they were vitamins, but more medication because my mom was the one that had the huge impact. I was like eight, nine, somewhere in that, you know, almost early preteen age. And I just knew everything was sugar-free and peanut butter and jelly didn't taste good anymore because I don't know what I'm slabbing on this, but it's gross. You know, like that's all I understood is mom can't have sugar, but my dad, it was a little bit more quieter. You know, he didn't make a big fuss about it. And because my mom was the main one doing all the cooking and stuff like that, it seemed like it just, he just integrated into it a lot easier and he just did his medication routine. So when I talked to him about symptoms and all that kind of stuff, I just became hyper aware. And as I was struggling with my weight and my body image, I go to the doctor, I'm fine. After pretty much like begging him to test me to be sure, um, and the following year, you know, I'm having faint spells. Um, my mouth is getting really dry and sticky, forcing me to drink water because my body's trying to flush out all the sugar that's just hanging around in my system. Um, I'm feeling tired all the time. Uh, you know, I, I, I've heard other type twos talk about losing weight. I'm like, no, I gained even more weight, you know? And so um, the faint spells was the final straw because I had fainted in the shower and the guy that I was dating at the time had to pull me out and I was out for a few minutes and it was super scary because 
um, I was having a low blood sugar event and I didn't know, you know, and I could have gone into a coma and he had no clue, you know, he wouldn't even have known how to treat it. You know, had he, I didn't know that they had emergency stuff like glucagon where, you know, and now they have stuff where you can spray it up your nose. I don't have to be conscious. I just learned that the other day, like it's still growing. Right. So to have that event, to not know what's going on, to have someone who's with me, who also doesn't know what's going on. I'm like, okay, I need to go in. And sure enough, um, even through the urine test, my doctor was like, I'm pretty sure it's diabetes, but we're going to do the blood tests, you know, to make sure. So leaving that appointment with confirmation of that, my dad was the first person I talked to, uh, the medications they put me on, he also was taking. And so he was trying to give me the lowdown of what to expect. A couple of other pieces of information that I didn't need to know because it didn't apply to me. Like, oh yeah, erectile dysfunction, that might be a thing. And I'm like, sorry, mom, I didn't know that was going on. Yikes. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's that don't apply to me, you know. Too but, much information, um, dad. <laughs> man, dad. You know, I think the older that I've gotten, my dad has just gotten way, way, which I love. Like I love our, our relationship, but sometimes it's just like, I could have gone the rest of my life without doing any of that. Um, but I'm going to pick up my prescription. I get home and I'm, it almost, you almost don't believe it because, you know, it is a silent killer. You don't feel it. You know, not everybody has symptoms and there's way more unknown cases than there are known cases, which also makes it scary. So I'm sitting here and I'm like, all that money I spent, all the effort that I put in wasted because I still ended up here. And my relationship was toxic and the way that I felt about myself, I, I hated myself at that time. I was already struggling with stuff. And now I have this disease on top of that. And then there's the stigma of type two of, oh, you caused it. Oh, well, if just lose the weight and you'll be fine. Because that was my mindset. Even when I was thinking about healing in hindsight, I'm like, okay, the goal of this blog is going to be journeying, you know, um, recording my journey of how I'm going to reverse this. I can totally do this. Right. And still struggling, you know, I mean, clearly here I am six years and I, you know, I'm way better, um, but it was hard. And I spent about two and a half years in denial. You know, I still kind of did my thing. I still went and drank myself, you know, into crazy states and ate crazy. And, you know, I, I took the pills. because I'm like, all right, pills will be fine. And, you know, having moments where people are like, should you eat that? And I'm like, mind your business. <laughs> you know, like there was just all of these outside factors that I'm just fighting myself. I'm feeling like my body is giving me this final straw of like, I don't like that I'm paired with you as the, you know, uh, navigator or captain of the ship because you clearly aren't making the right decisions for yourself. And so um, there was a lot of, of just silent, um, almost grieving, you know, of, of a life that I had of, you know, the, the privilege of not having to think about what I'm eating in terms of my health. You know, I was thinking about what I was eating in terms of like trying to lose weight, um, but not in terms of like, if you don't get this in check, you could die, you know, and, and it's, it's a tough thing to think about, or you might lose a foot or, you know, all of these crazy things that um, sometimes you just, especially don't Google your diagnosis, you know, you know, that sends you down a whole rabbit hole and pictures and all the, the extremes of untreated stuff. And you're not even close to that, but you're just like, oh my God, my life is over. And so it took a lot to really pull myself out of that mental state um, because you feel like such a failure in multiple ways. And, 
you know, at the time I'm dating somebody who doesn't know how to pull me out of that, you know, his literal answer was like, well, I'm not the one controlling the fork, you are, you know, and it's just like, that's okay, I don't, nobody cares that you're a basketball bill type dude, and you can eat whatever you want, and nothing, like not one ounce of fat will ever seem to touch your body, like, you know, words, there's so many words in that direction, um, so, you know, you have this environment where you don't feel supported, where you, you know, really have to be responsible for yourself, but you don't want to be. I'm tired of being resilient. I'm tired of being strong. I'm tired of being, you know, the person that has to keep picking myself up off the floor, you know, to to keep going. Like, I just want it to stop. I just want to wake up and I not have to deal with any of this. And, you know, that just wasn't the case. And so it was hard and it was a very, I would, I typically view that period of my life is the lowest point of my life um, as an adult of like, I really just stopped caring because I was just so mentally exhausted that the idea of seeing myself happy and, and healthy and thriving was laughable. Yeah, that sounds like a, I mean, what you're talking about is really truly like some signs of grief and just we, we just came out of an episode about grief and talking about like grieving the, the, the loss of a dream of what your life was going to look like and then having to rebuild. Yeah. It kind of sounds like what you really had to go through is acceptance and denial and all of those stages that they talk about to kind of come out on the other side. What supports did you end up utilizing? Because at that time, it sounds like your relationship was also not good to support you, but mm-hmm. what did you end up using to help support you through that? You know, honestly, my friends were probably the biggest influence. Um, you know, the relationship uh, lasted about five years um, with like, there was like a, a gap in between about like, two and a half years. And then we, we flow back together. But I really had to, I didn't realize how we manipulated each other emotionally, you know, until I'm on the outside looking in because he's not a bad guy at all, you know? And, and I'd like to say, I'm not a bad person. I did some stupid shit. I really did. But, you know, we were figuring out, you know, how old was I? We were like, it was like 22 ish, you know, when we were dating um, up until that, that 20, uh, 25 marker. And so it was kind of a, uh, almost a fed up moment of, I felt like I was driving the relationship all the time. You know, I felt like I was the one who wanted to explore more and he wanted to, you know, do the the family thing. And I'm like, I'm not ready for that and all of that. And so it just came to this breaking point of my friends being like, dude, this relationship seems like it's stifling you. And at some point you have to decide, do you want to be happy and thrive? Or do you want to stay and fight for this and potentially give up? on the things that you want for yourself. You know, I'm, I'm in the midst of a promotion and all of that. And so we were living together, but I finally got my own space. And that was probably what helped set that off because as he would come into my space, he didn't like hanging out um, outside of his own house. Even when I met him, like he was way more her- hermit crab when we first met to, you know, to, to later on. Um, he didn't like going out. He didn't like doing anything. So he just wanted to stay at home a video game. And like, he was a homebody and that's okay, but that wasn't me. And so when I noticed that he didn't want to come to my house and he would treat my house the way he did his. And I'm like, I have my own rules. Like you need to respect that. I just started to notice I was getting way and way more agitated. And I'm like, this is not how this relationship should be going. You should be happy for me. You should be excited. And I get you, you're sad that I moved out, but it's, it's what, I needed, we need our own space. 
So ending that relationship because of my friends, you know, really pushing me to, um, you know, do better for myself, honestly, is what led to a chain reaction of coming out of things. And um, my current partner, you know, kind of helped bring that full circle by getting us in therapy. Um, we actually saw a couples therapist and then our couples therapist was like, okay, we need to see individual therapists. And that took off for me and really just doing a lot of deep work on myself and trying to have a relationship with myself because I realized I had never really done anything for me. I'm, I'm definitely an overgiver to other people. And so turning things and turning the focus on myself and on my health in so many different ways was huge to where I'm at, I am now because I used to be afraid to do stuff alone. I used to not want to go out unless I had someone who was going to go with me. All of these things, I was very codependent. That was probably one of my most toxic traits is I just kept dating people that I needed approval and permission from in order to do stuff. And then I get to my current partner. He's like, oh no, I'm not your dad. Like you, you got to figure that out for yourself. Like I'm not going to have the answers. Um, and so yeah, my, my friends and, and therapy and finally listening to myself on the warning size and just like, get out, dude, like get out of this because it's driving us crazy. I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with your story a little bit just because it's like, I feel like the most powerful experiences that humans can have is hitting rock bottom, having something, whether it be, you know, hopefully not a you know, a diagnosis of some kind or, you know, experience with a person and your, and your death experience, something that shocks your body and wakes up your whole entire system to make changes from one area to the next, something that maybe you never even uh, realized about yourself. And that's what it sounds like that, you know, even though you were diagnosed with diabetes, it woke up everything else in your system to turn yourself into a healthier person, which is, powerful and amazing, but also very humanizing too. And obviously we're huge advocates for therapy and I'm really glad that therapy has worked for you and that you're uh, still at it, which is, which is wonderful. I, we have a few questions to ask you. I'll start with the first one um, relating to this subject, but what are some common misconceptions about living with a chronic illness like diabetes that you know, maybe people who've never experienced that or had someone in their life experience that, what would some of those misconceptions be? Uh, that weight is the driving factor. It is a factor, but it is not the ultimate factor. Um, that's a big one, especially with, uh, with diabetes is that um, you know, adjusting your weight will fix it. And, that, and that's not it. Um, the other thing is like, oh, eating too much sugar, you know, we'll do it. That's not it either, <laughs> you know? And so, um, although you hear terms like blood sugar, you know, all that kind of stuff come up, you know, glucose, whatever, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that that is the determining factor. Um, I think the biggest one for me is that it, it doesn't have a look. You know, I think people have tried to put um, diabetes in a, in a, visual so that way you like know it when you see it and and there just isn't you literally could be next to anybody you know skinny um curvy tall short black white whatever like 
anybody can can deal with this and potentially run into this, um, whether that's directly or indirectly. And so thinking that, um, you know, uh, losing all the weight is the answer to it, um, you know, thinking that it has a, a look to it and that, oh, if I eat a bunch of sugar, then I'm suddenly going to end it. Uh, you know, you, you hear it as a joke all the time. Oh, they just had a plate full of diabetes in front of me. It's like, did they, you know, like I get it. And I'm, you know, I'm guilty. I've laughed at it before, but have it. So I feel like I have a free pass to make fun of myself, you know, but it's one of those things where like you hear all of these comments and things. And it's just like, that's not exactly it. Um, they're factors, but it's, it's not the, the driving force. Yeah, definitely heard that when I was younger. I'm glad that the conversation is slowly changing because I've heard all of those misconceptions and you just verified that they're still, you know, floating around. Um, but luckily people like you can kind of shut it down or, you know, if you feel like informing someone of what it's really mm -hmm. like, because you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. But the fact is, is that that's something that you've been doing with your podcast, I'm sure, you know, in your, in your daily life. But um, so going off of that last question, what are some things that have and haven't helped you have and haven't helped you in regards to other people's responses and support? Is there anything that you can think of that someone um, that you know, or that you don't know, who's mentioned um, something regarding you know, your diagnosis that was like, whoa, that really wasn't helpful. <laughs> and something that was really helpful. Um, I think the thing that hasn't helped is other people policing me with my diagnosis. If you're not familiar with it, and even if you are, like, I know there are a lot of caregivers for it. There's a bit of trust that you have to give that I know how to manage my diabetes. Now I do understand that some people who are caregivers or, or family members, whatever, witness behaviors that alarm them, but it's not your illness to carry. And I know that it's out of concern that you don't want them to do these actions and things like that. But we came in alone, we go out alone and we have to just let people find out for themselves, you know, the, the consequences or rewards of, you know, either taking care of yourself or not but policing other diabetics when you don't have it is like if they didn't directly say hey if you see me picking this up smack it out of my hand you know fall back because um early on hearing like can you eat that are you sure you should have that oh maybe i should give you a smaller portion like stuff like that that's intended to be with love it's hurtful because it just makes you feel excluded from everything, which is already a battle, you know, by itself of I can't eat this, I can't eat that. I actually had a, a, a moment the other day where I'm just like, I'm so frustrated because I'm hungry and my numbers were crazy that day. And I'm just like, I feel like I can't eat anything because I'm just gonna send my numbers off. And because I see that and I know better, like if I were to reach for this, that's not gonna help me, I'm gonna feel bad. And I don't wanna feel bad I just want to feel normal for a second where I can eat something and I don't have to think about, oh, is this going to send my numbers crazy? So don't police, like policing people is, is a big one. <laughs> um, I will say something that has helped is getting educated about it. And that's usually through just community. Um, I never knew that I needed to see an endocrinologist until I met other diabetics, mostly type ones. 
because uh, type two is usually managed by primary. And I didn't know that. I, had, I didn't know there was a whole doctor dedicated to doing that. So finding that information out and doing more research and then seeking those uh, resources out um, has been really helpful because now I'm on a medication regimen that is my, my numbers are way better. I now have technology like a CGM that helps me see every second of every day where I'm at and I'm not having to guess, you know, on how to adjust on those things. So, you know, doing more research into uh, advancement in, you know, my illness has been super helpful and getting with professionals um, has helped a lot. So with some of the tips that you had given for like what not to do, what are some of the most helpful things that friends or people in your life have done to support you during this time? I think the, the best one that I've noticed, especially with my partner, is asking what should I do if you have a low episode or, you know, now that I'm wearing a CGM, if your alarm goes off and you're really low and you're not waking up or whatever, um, educating yourself about the condition that your, your friend, family member, or partner is going through so you can be prepared is really helpful. Um, something that uh, I shared when I was doing a live with the, uh, a fellow diabetic was, you know, having snacks around the house. Um, you know, he keeps fruit snacks in the house, like having juice, because uh, sometimes whenever you're experiencing a low chewing, and that whole digestive process is going to take a minute for your blood sugar to climb. So sometimes you need, you know, a sip of juice or even a soda to get in your system faster. So keeping stuff like that around. Um, being like not pressuring people, especially like here in Austin, you know, the bar culture is real and Texas has gone cowboy again. So like we out here, right? We, we doing the things again. Um, so if you're going to be bar hopping or whatever, like, and I say, hey, I'm going to hang back. I'll, I'll meet you guys at the next spot you know, not pressing, oh, I don't do that, you know, just come on, just come on, do another shot, drink, you know, like that kind of peer pressure, like ease up on that, because nobody wants to openly say, I need to go take my insulin, so I, I need to hang back, I need to find a bathroom that ain't gross, you know, or whatever, like nobody wants to, to say that, and although my particular group of friends, I'm actually friends with nurses too, so like they get it, um, you know, finding people who respect those boundaries of it's not that I'm not willing to hang. I just need to do what I need to do. Um, sometimes even if that means I got to go home, like I can't, you know, drink the same way that I used to. I can't, you know, do, uh, well, I can, it's just not the wisest thing to do, right? Because, you know, one thing that people don't realize, especially for diabetics, like if you're drinking, which can kind of create the environment of having a low, and then later on that night, you go to sleep or you pass out from drinking and then you have a real low and you don't have anything in your system for, like that can cause problems. So, you know, just friends and family who keep the right things in the house, um, who respect that I might need a minute, you know, or, or even folks who would check in they're like, hey, um, how are you? Like, do, you, do we need to stop and eat something? You know, uh, are you good? That goes miles because I don't, I've definitely had moments where I normally pack something, you know, I try to keep more fruit snacks in the house so I can just easily throw it in my bag or whatever. Um, but y'all punches aren't designed to be convenient. Like it's a miracle if they hold your phone. Right. So, um, <laughs> right. Sometimes, you know, like in those moments, uh, my partner has cargo pants, I'm using every pocket, <laughs> put these fruit snacks here, put these crackers there, you know, here's a little mini shot of a Coke or something, you know, because, 
I might need that and my bag might not be able to accommodate that. Um, so just educating yourself on what is going on and what those episodes can look like because there are even moments, you know, low blood sugar can um, sometimes come off like you're drunk. So if we're already drinking, you know what I mean? Like you might not even be able to tell. Um, it's funny because I tell people when you say you're hangry, you know, and that, that short agitated feeling and you start to get kind of hot, it's like you're experiencing low blood sugar. So if you don't like feeling hangry, you know, might want to keep some snacks around because that's basically what we're dealing with all the time is our bodies just naturally throwing us into this hangry state whether we like it or not you know and so um, when people take the time you know to educate themselves they don't um, put it all on you and they try to create an environment that ensures that you're able to get what you need that means a lot you know when people question me about like hey where are we going and they're like just come out like I need to know because if we're going to a restaurant or we're going to a bar that there's food, like I need to know this. So that way I can peep the menu ahead of time. Um, and if I need to eat ahead of time, then I'll do that. Like I have to kind of plan. Um, I still have fun, but there's some extra steps that go with that. So people who don't put pressure on you to unravel that why, or, you know, keep things to help you really goes a long way. Those are some great tips. Really, and, and they sound so basic, but it's still really helpful. Mm-hmm. I feel like we lose some of that, you know, um, when we question why someone is or isn't doing something and it's like, it has nothing to do with you 99% of the time, but maybe I don't want to like shout it from the rooftops that I need to go take care of something. Yeah. Um, some of what you might've said might also be part of our next question. Um, but what are some important self-care tips for people who are newly diagnosed or someone in their life who's newly diagnosed that you feel like would be really helpful. I I feel like one of them's definitely communication, Mm -hmm. communicating how you're doing, what you need. I got, I gathered that from what you just said, but is there anything else? Yeah. Um, Don't try to ignore the hard days. I think that is probably the biggest form of self-care. You know, I know we can celebrate the good stuff or whatever, but when you have a hard day, it's okay. Um, and to let people have that, you know, um, I literally had a really tough day the other day. Um, and I was hopping on the game with my partner. So we're chatting through our, you know, Xbox cat thing. And I'm like, Oh, I'm just so frustrated. Like, I just want to eat. I'm hungry. And I have to think about what I'm eating. Cause my blood sugar is actually already kind of a little elevated. Uh, you know, I just kind of word vomited and he's like, it's going to be okay. Like, you, you know, it's going to get better, but like, just do what you need. If you're hungry, eat, you know, don't feel like you need to starve yourself just to get your numbers in, in place before you can. Um, so, you know, don't feel like you have to ignore or like you have to um, do drastic measures to get yourself in the right range because um, you don't want to make yourself feel even worse simply because you're being human. And I think that's something that the community is really starting to talk more about is, you know, being human and that no day is going to be perfect. And we should just allow people to feel what they feel um, because it's not fun. And it's, it's not a, 
thing that suddenly you've perfected the formula of being a diabetic and now like it's smooth sailing every day is literally brand new you know and so I actually went into my endocrinologist appointment today nervous because I'm like my numbers have been crazy and I had an issue with my medication I switched insurances so I had to wait all this stuff like that he's like oh it's okay hop back on it and I'll see you in a month and we'll kind of go from there because you haven't really had a chance to adjust to it so I spent all day beating myself up for no reason you know so by taking the time to just acknowledge that you know the day isn't going as you thought or wanted it to be designed like that is okay um I think the other self-care tip that might sound a little taboo to some people because I know some people are like just die hard like strict to the letter right but treat yourself blood pops in the fridge did I eat the whole box nope but I have one that it's got all kinds of crap in it and stuff like that and you know I got peanut butter Oreos in the fridge too because cold peanut butter Oreos is life try it you know (laughs) but I don't eat the whole row I don't deprive myself of having you know pasta or you know if we go out to eat you know trying something I limit my portions because I don't I had to deal with binge eating and things like that. So I understand what my limits are, but it doesn't mean that I can't have it, you know? So don't feel like you're not allowed to have the ice cream or a piece of candy or some cake at a party or, you know, um, every now and then I do miss the taste of a really well-made cherry vodka sour. I don't know why, you know, such a cheap, crappy drink sometimes, but every now and then you just, just need to taste a little grenadine. So, you know, like, like, don't, feel like the world is over because you're not supposed to have things. No, it's those moments that we restrict ourselves that we overindulge when we do get a taste. So give yourself a little bit and enjoy it, embrace it. And then, you know, make sure the rest of your day you're, you're on, on point with it, but it's totally okay to have a shitty day and to treat yourself with something because we're human, we're human. And there's, there's nobody that I feel like that should walk this earth and feel like they can't have an experience because when I go to Europe, it's over. I, Italy don't have to watch out. I mean, everything. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's such great advice for everyone, you know, whether you're living with a chronic illness or not, is that, you know, we need to try to find that balance in life on how to take care of ourselves, but also still live life without intense restrictions. Cause you're right. I think the more intense we get with restrictions, the harder it is to actually be balanced and be happy. And then we kind of go one way or the other, which, you know, <laughs> can turn into a whole lot of stuff. You've given so many great like tips and ideas and things to just for people to think about, um, you know, on how to be more supportive to others in their life. I kind of want to go back a little bit to the mental health piece of it real quick and just, you know, for people who may be newly diagnosed, I know it sounds like you started therapy a little bit more after your diagnosis, but mm-hmm. have you found that you're looking for specific things or your therapist brought some specific things to the table that were helpful for you that you might recommend other people kind of keep an eye open for? Yeah. Um, and it's now like my new favorite thing, shadow work. Like seriously, it, it recognizing anything traumatic, even just the diagnosis itself, it's traumatic, you know, it's your whole body shifting and meeting that where it's at and understanding it and not seeing it as this is a terrible event, life is over kind of thing. Like I, I see the challenges and difficulties that I go through so differently now. Um, I don't, you know, I, I'm still human in that, like, I'll have a moment of like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, 
you know, ready to flip off the tables. But I still take a moment to reflect. I'm like, okay, this didn't necessarily go the way I wanted to, or I'm really struggling to come to terms with this. What's going on with me that is is it's just flaring up so bad that I'm feeling this, you know? And it's hard to face the the stuff that we hide from ourselves. And that was the biggest thing that my therapist really helped bring me out. You know, she did the whole seesaw analogy. She drew it on her little whiteboard and, you know, that, that brought it into perspective of like, you know, sometimes there's too much like positive. I, I love the topic of toxic positivity. So if y'all ever do on that, like, man, sign me up. Um, but like, you know, sometimes there's too much, you know, sometimes a positive affirmation and some meditation isn't going to fix it. Right. And sometimes you might be unveiling a little too much of stuff that we feel is bad or we hide away like there has to be a balance and so when she presented that to me it changed everything you know I, I um I'm way softer with people more you know I don't necessarily go hard um because I tend to be a tough love person but I recognize that like hey you're hitting a, a point that's triggering you because you're having to unravel some stuff that has been so deeply, you know, burrowed in your body that you're having reactions to it in ways that you might not even realize because I had to go through it myself and I'm still going through it. It's, it's not um, anything that is over. It's a constant, you know, because um, the things that we go through, I feel like I kind of think of it like a game and it is because I'm a gamer. It's my favorite analogy, but you know, you play these video games and you beat the storyline and there's always these side quests and you see these games like Destiny and Call of Duty or whatever. And you're like, why do people continue to play it? Because there's always a next level to get to. There's always a challenge to get to. You just get better. You get better tools. You know, you get more powers. You know, you um, uh, work with different people. You have to strategize in order to beat the game. And so that's what it's made me realize is that I might get better at, at my game of life it does not mean I won't be hit with the same challenge, but 10 times harder. So, you know, being able to work through how to manage that has shifted so much for me. And it has allowed me to feel stuff again, because I was really trying to avoid feeling a lot of things. It has allowed me to recognize what boundaries I needed. Because sometimes I just was like, anybody can cross the border whenever they feel like it. And I didn't, I thought that was my form of love. If I let you take advantage, then you'll, you'll care for me. You'll, you'll return the favor. You'll, you know, support me instead of, you know, taking on my gold and running. Um, so yeah, that's probably, uh, I can go on all day about shadow work. Don't let me do that. <laughs> but that was like the biggest thing for my therapist. And I can't thank her enough for like introducing that whole concept to me and being so candid about reminding me to find balance, reminding me, you know, to feel the hard stuff and to allow myself the day if I need it. And just as much as I celebrate stuff, I need to take time to receive the joy and the happiness and all of that. So that was huge for me. One of the coolest things about therapy and the healing journey is that you're gonna, and you said something like this, that reminded me, um, you're gonna be hit with things that are gonna be hard or basically the same thing you've already been through, the way you deal with it and the way you handle it is gonna be so much healthier. Because how you were when, before your diagnosis, when you were a little kid, when you got diagnosed to now, it's like so much growth. Um, but also because you decided to look within yourself and do that internal healing too, has been 
clearly very transformative. Um, we loved having you on today, Taylor. Really, really good stuff. Um, you talked about so many great things and we can't wait to um, have this episode air and share with others. Do you have a piece of advice that you would give our listeners? It can be anything that you want it to be. Ooh, okay. I think, I think what's speaking to me right now is be okay with being you and explore all aspects of yourself and appreciate all aspects of yourself. Even if you don't like everything about yourself, you can still appreciate because diagnosed or not, my diagnosis made me face my body image issues. My diagnosis made me face the things that I didn't want other people to see, or I was too afraid to step out and do. And, you know, sometimes, you know, granted, I would never say like, oh my God, I'm, I'm proud to be a diabetic. I think um, if I had the opportunity to be like, Whoop, can't get rid of it, I would, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I am grateful for it, even though it's something I didn't want. If it hadn't happened, I probably would still be with that dude. I probably would have let him convince me to marry him. And who knows, you know, like I would have done so many things differently because I didn't have something to push me to slap the hell out of me, basically to wake up and get out. So, you know, don't wait till that moment. Don't wait until something crazy happens. Your body, your subconscious is already sending you signals of like where you need to be and where you don't. And if you're in a situation where you need to get the hell out. So really just, dig deep into being you date yourself love yourself man dating myself was like the coolest thing i'd ever done my sister told me she's like i take myself on dates i'm like you what like the first time i did it i'm like this feels amazing so you know just really we spend so much time learning about outside things learn about yourself because you think you know everything about yourself until you figure out that you don't <laughs> you know so be be okay with being you and and figure out all the nooks and crannies of yourself because you'd be surprised at what you might unearth and what you might learn and how you can really tune in to your your spidey senses if you will to help help you navigate and move and face you know some of the challenges that you have that's beautiful advice i absolutely love that and I think, yeah, it's, it's the hugest part of the life journey, I think, is to just get to know ourselves better and come to a place with self-love. Where can our listeners find you? Where can they add you on socials, listen to your podcast, your live streams, give us all the information. All right. It's a mouthful. So I'm so sorry that I like, I, I should apologize, but I just, I'm, I get everybody's bombarded with a lot of things. So if you're willing to lend me your time, um, you can find me in two places on Instagram um, for what I'm doing personally. It's uh, at just Taylor Danielle. That's Danielle with one L D A N I E L E. If you want to check out my podcast and learn more about the diabetic space and hear from other people and their stories um, and allies uh, like the two ladies here who have graced the pod as well. Um, it's going to be at healing in hindsight. Um, my live stream show, I just started it and it's been really cool so far. Um, I'm streaming on Twitch and YouTube. Um, so you can go to twitch.tv forward slash just Taylor Danielle. Um, and I'm live every Wednesday afternoon, uh, 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. 
um, usually on for about two hours. Um, and we talk about all, if you like the self love, you know, learn about yourself stuff, that's pretty much what I'm talking about for the most part. Um, I touch on my, my diabetic life, but it's, it's a deeper dive into self-acceptance, uh, cause it's something I'm, I'm really passionate about, um, aside from my diabetes stuff. So, um, healinginhindsight.com. If you want to learn more about the show, connect with me, hear your story, all of the things, and you can find the pod wherever other pods are available because there's so many apple google amazon spotify stitcher like they're the list so healing and hindsight podcast just google it it'll all pop up <laughs> well you're not busy <laughs> there's a lot of uh great ways to connect with taylor so hopefully um everyone checks out her podcast too it's really great um and yes we were a guest on her podcast and it was we were planning on having her on our podcast anyway, so it worked out lovely. So uh, make sure you check her out. Thank you so much, Taylor. It was so great having you on and um, can't wait to connect in the future, Taylor. Thank you guys. This has been awesome. I really appreciate the time. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And if you feel called to, rate and review and share with the people in your life you think would like us too. For more info on this episode, check out the show notes. And as always, you can find us on Instagram at dopeshttherapypod and via email at dopeshttherapypod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and check back soon for more episodes.